You're listening to the Functional Fertility Podcast, and I'm your host, Kiara Orbe, Functional Fertility Nutritionist. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing your fertility using real intentional nourishment through nutrition and lifestyle choices. Each week, you'll find practical steps through conversations with health experts in this space or solo episodes from me helping you get closer to creating your family. Everything shared on the podcast is rooted in love and science and is meant to help you cut through fertility myths so you can take control of your fertility journey while having fun doing so. And if anything resonates with you, please feel free to leave a five-star review and rating so that we can continue having incredible guests on the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So today on the show, we have Margaret Berry. She is a fellow FNTP, CPT, PCES, and she is so well-versed in nutrition, but I believe you guys will get a lot from today's episode. Can I just say how much I love Margaret? I think we met at the beginning of 2021 after my fish oil reel went viral. She sent me the sweetest message, just giving me so much encouragement after receiving a lot of hate and trolls on that fish oil reel, which was totally unexpected, by the way, if I had anticipated any sort of um, attention to that reel, I probably would have done my hair a little bit nicer. But anyway, she was just one of those people who sent me a sweet message and I appreciate her so much for doing that. I love following Margaret because she talks about all things that I am not really well-versed in like fascia and pelvic floor stuff and lymphatic drainage. Like I have some knowledge on that, but we just went into so much depth today in the episode. And I believe you guys will definitely get a lot. So be ready. Um, This is especially important for overall health and women looking to have babies in the future. Um, We talk about the fascia and how important it is. We talk about T-tap training, and I had no idea what that was until today, Uh, lymphatic drainage, and the pelvic floor. So definitely so many goods inside of this episode. You might even want to take notes because there's just so much that we uncover. And if you want to learn more about Margaret, be sure to click her Instagram handle in the description in the show notes so that you guys can give her a follow and maybe add this into your healing regimen. All right, guys, enjoy the show. Hey, Margaret, thanks for coming on the Functional Fertility Podcast. How are you on this fine Wednesday afternoon? I'm doing well, doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking. I'm really excited to chat with you. I just love you and your Instagram account. You were so funny and just so real and brutally honest and you just own it. And it it really is inspiring. I think your reels are hilarious. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I was like, I remember I stumbled across your Instagram account. I think it was the beginning of this year. And I clicked and I was like, oh, she's a fellow like FNTP. And I had no idea. And I feel like I keep coming across accounts like that. And I was like, she has so much information that I just know nothing about because you don't, I mean, you do pay attention to nutrition, obviously, but I feel like your main focus has a lot to do with like 
fascia and I mean, your Instagram handle is muscles and motherhood. So all things that I'm learning about more and more each day, but I'm really excited to speak to an expert in this area and just learn more about you. So I just wanted to start off by asking, how did you become a nutritional therapy practitioner? What made you become one? And tell us a little bit about your like background. Yes. Yeah. So I have I guess my story starts when I was growing up, I was an athlete, I was a swimmer. So I was on a swim team starting at a very young age. And I always loved moving. I just loved moving my body. I thought it was really fun. It was very fascinating how the body works. And I started getting interested in that. And really, I think after I stopped swimming, I had a period of time where I was like figuring out nutrition and figuring out fitness when you're no longer in a competitive sport. <laughs> what does it look like? Um, you know, how does that how does that work? And I definitely had a period of time in my life where I struggled with disordered eating. Um, I did a lot of intermittent fasting. I did a lot of fasted workouts because at the time that was very trendy. <laughs> um, so I kind of ran myself into the ground and I kind of hit a wall. I had a lot of um, issues with body image and overthinking food and overthinking exercise. And right. coming out of that was when I started learning how the body actually worked and learning that when I am, you know, doing a fasted workout, what it's doing to my body, what going without food for a long period of time does to your body. And it really kind of, um, I wanted to share that with other people. So I started learning it myself and started seeing how it helped me. And I just couldn't help but share that with other women because I looked around and all the women around me I saw were struggling with all this and like, where's the balance? And how does this, how do we make this work for us? So, and in the classes that I was taking, learning how the body worked, it just was amazing. And it made me realize and kind of sad how I'd been treating it, you know, with all those, um, the obsession and the restriction that I had done. So I kind of, you know, brought myself out of that um, through nutrition and through, uh, you know, reducing stress and all the other things that we both talk about. Um, I actually didn't have a period for two years. It was close to two years. I had complete uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea due to the restriction over exercise. Um, and that really was a wake up call for me because I wanted to have kids someday. So I was like, I need to treat myself better. And coming out of that with the nutrition that I learned, it really helped me um, form a foundation and understand better how to take care of myself. And then I wanted to take that forward to other people. And, you know, I know that a lot of us are busy and we have a lot going on and I, I aim to kind of, um, make it applicable for women who are in that busy stage of life. Cause I have two little, two little kids right now and everything else that I'm doing. Um, and I want to kind of make that, um, not as overwhelmed as we tend to get from our the culture around us telling us all of these all of these things that you hear one thing then you hear another thing from someone else. So I yeah, that's kind of my history with that. I comes from my own experience and wanting to share that with other people. So thanks for sharing that. I was similar to you. I felt like I was um I came from like Western medicine, like many of us did. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much about alternative health and I thought I knew so much. And then I was awakened to the fact that I knew nothing. I, some days I still feel like, feel like that way because I, there's so much to learn. And when I entered the nutritional therapy association, I was like, oh my gosh, 
this is amazing. It's so the body is so fascinating. And it really started to connect the dots for me. But I had no idea that you had HA for mm -hmm. two years. Um, I'm super curious what how long did it take for you to get your period back after you started implementing the foundations? Yes. So it took me about, I think it was about six months of eating, you know, focusing on eating, eating enough food. That was the biggest thing for me was eating enough nourishment because I had like had in my head, I'm only allowed to eat these th these few foods and that was not providing me with enough nutrition. Um, and yeah, I had a very low body fat percentage. So I had to put on weight as well. I had to put on weight in order to allow my body to feel safe. So it was really about six months. But interestingly, I remember Google searching, good old Google, I was Google searching how to help bring your period back, like herbals to support that. And it came up with um, Chaseberry, you know, the Vitex. And so I started that towards the end of, I'd been implementing all the dietary changes, started that towards the end, started my period back. And I was like, wow, this works. Because all of the I had been to all oh, the endocrinology specialists. I had been to all of the doctors that, you know, run all the labs and tell you, actually, you look fine and you look really good, by the way. Like, you know, oh my like, God. Yeah. and I would be like, you guys don't get it. I know I'm not healthy and what's going on. But it was really scary to have to be eating more food and, you know, actually gaining weight that I really did need to gain. So, yeah, but it, it was a journey for sure. That was going to be my next question because of the body image issues prior to like, what did that look like? What were some of your, um, I guess, saving graces during that time period when you were gaining weight? Yes. I listened to a lot of, there's some several good um, psychology, like food psychology and body image psychologists. I would just listen to their podcasts. Some of them um, have different podcasts. I listened to that. And then I also, the thing that I kept telling myself was, uh, I care, I care more about being healthy and having all of the, the having fertility and being able to, you know, sleep through the night and not feel like crap all day. Um, I care more about that than I do about, you know, looking a certain way. Like I had to prioritize, I had to change my priorities. And something else that I also would tell myself repeatedly was I could go back to doing what I did before. I could always go back to restricting, over exercising, fasted cardio, all the things. But did I want to? And my answer was always no. I've been there and I've done that and I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so I had to kind of, you know, um, bolster myself with those those thoughts when it would be tough, you know, because people would be like, oh, you've gained weight. And I'm like, spoiler alert, I needed that weight. You know, it was just people were very rude about it. And I had to just be like, no, no, I'm, I'm not prioritizing how I look on the outside. I'm prioritizing my health on the inside. And that's that's what I'm doing. So yeah, it was definitely challenging, though. That's awesome. So when you saw those doctors, those endocrinologists, did they almost normalize that it's it's normal to not have a period with the way that you are exercising, the way that you're eating? Like, this is totally normal. This is what happens. Because I know so many, um, when I was in college, like bodybuilding was the thing. And I mm. knew so many bikini, bikini competitors and stuff. Yes. And they had lost their period. I remember one of my friends saying, like, it's normal to lose your period when you're at such a deficit. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Of course, at the time, I knew nothing. So right, like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As we do. I know how that, I know how that goes. Yeah. 
So So they normalize that for you. And then you just like took your health into your own hands and then you joined the nutritional therapy association and it was just game over from there. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is that kind of when you started like waking up to, I mean, this is like what happened to me, like with, with conventional medicine and like what happens there and stuff. Did it lead you down a rabbit hole of information? Big time. It was like, whoa. Okay. So, and and by the way, speaking of periods, they had actually recommended when I was maybe 16 or 17 going on birth control as, as they do, right? They're always like, oh, one birth control to help you regulate. And I remember at the time I went on it for two weeks and it turned me into a monster. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. My hormones were like, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that. And so I remember thinking to myself, okay, why would they prescribe this to, you know, suppress that? The, if It's supposed to regulate it, but it's actually suppressing what's actually occurring, the ovulation. It, like it's suppressive. It's not actually healing what's going on, which is there's a hormone about. I remember being like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, and it did after that. It led me down this huge rabbit hole of going, okay, why do they just treat the thing that's on the top and they don't actually get to the root issue that's going on? Um, and that made me angry <laughs> because I had been to, all, I mean, I've been to the best like endocrinologist in my state pretty much. And they were all like, well, it's normal to have irregular or missing periods when you're starting out your cycle, you know, all this kind of, you know, useless <laughs> useless things that did not help me um, at the time when I really just needed somebody to be like, this is just what they do. They do not actually get down underneath that and figure out what's at the root of the problem. They just treat the issues on the surface. So that was a big wake up call. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I had similar frustrations seeing my PCP like time and time again. I swear I was in there like every week. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming in with my list of questions on my phone and I could just tell she was just trying to get me out of the door. Um, and same thing with my GI doctor. I almost went to a research hospital cause I just thought like there has to be something I kept digging. I wanted to know why, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And I never got that answer. The most, um, I guess the best recommendations that I got were to just go, uh, gluten-free and dairy-free. So at least they, they mm. somewhat paid attention to diet. Yeah. Um, but of course that was still kind of suppressing the issue and I still didn't know what it was coming back down to. And then I remember one of, um, this woman that I knew, she had told me that it was stress. Mm. It was stress. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not stressed. I'm fine. And like, I don't know, there has to be something really wrong with me. Um, And then of course, now we know like all the different types of stress there are. And I was stressed. I was, I was just in like this phase where I was like, no, there has to be something really big wrong with me. I have to have this huge medical diagnosis. I'm like, I'm this, I'm this rare case that no doctor has ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us can feel that way and it's, it's, it's frustrating and disheartening when we don't get the answers that we want, but also really empowering at the same time to take your health into your own hands and get the education that we never received. And I think the NTA was definitely a great place to start because Mm -hmm. it always comes back down to those simple foundations. And I don't think it really has to be any more complicated than that. Making sure you're eating enough, making sure you're balancing your blood sugar and making sure that you're taking the right foods. Um, But anyway, 
Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that you had HA, so I just wanted to talk about yeah, that a little bit. Yeah, more. yeah, it's definitely part of my so, part of my story. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So, talk to me about TTAP training. I see you doing your videos and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. I've never ever heard of it. Yes. So I hadn't heard of it until I guess it was 2013, 2012, 2013, when I was moving out of crazy exercise stuff. I mean, like all the things, the CrossFit, the fasted, if you're not dead, then you're not working out hard enough. Like I literally moved from, again, that was my past with, you know, being addicted to overexercise and restriction. Um, I had heard about it because my mom was doing it and she heard about it from someone else. And I remember seeing her doing it and I was like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever seen because it looked weird and you're kind of, it's kind of Pilates, but it's kind of not. And it's got yoga notes in there and it just looks different. And I remember reading the book because the creator of the method, and I'll explain a little bit more about the method, but the creator of the method wrote a book and she, and of course I'm the person that with my background, I like to know why someone's telling me that I need to do something. <laughs> Maybe because I'm a little distrustful, but also because I'm just a huge nerd and I like to know why. So I, when re I read that book and I realized that one of the things she developed it originally for was cancer patients who were going through uh, chemotherapy where they, you know, had issues with their lymphatic system and their white blood cells um, and boosting those levels. She also developed it for them originally, but found that the side effect was that they retained their muscle and they also saw inches lost of water retention when they implemented the sequences that she created. So the base of that was it was created. And I was like, ooh, lymphatic system. I learned about that in class <laughs> and it's very important. So uh, it was really cool to understand the why behind it um, in the book. So I started, I basically ditched all of my crazy high intensity interval training and the crazy training that I was doing in favor of this because it made sense. When she was describing in the book about how other exercises can really tax the adrenals because it triggers that high release of cortisol. Um, when she was explaining how you definitely don't want to create a lot of inflammation, you know, you're going to be creating some muscle breakdown, but if you can move the inflammation out as it's being created, uh, that will serve your body better and it will help you get rid of, you know, inflammation, free radicals that are created when you exercise. So um, I basically went whole hog and I'm very black or white. I was just like, I am going to go whole hog into this. And I started implementing it and I started noticing benefits I would have gotten from doing all this other crazy stuff. I saw physical changes such as I noticed that I was building muscle better. I was building leaner muscle that was more dense. I felt like my metabolic rate went up. Uh, I noticed that I was less puffy. Like I used to be, I mean, I have pictures of myself before and after I really started focusing on the lymphatic drainage that's in TTAP. And you cannot, I mean, people are like, that's not you. <laughs> my face is so puffy and so inflamed because of everything I put my body through. People are like, that's not you. I'm like, no, it, it is me. I, I used to be like that before I started implementing um, this. But the main, the main part of it involves uh, lymphatic drainage, which is, of course, the lymphatic system for anyone who's not familiar. It is a uh, basically like your second circulatory system, except it circulates uh, cellular debris, old hormones, 
white blood cells. It's part of your immune system as well. So it's kind of like a circulatory system, but it's also part of the immune system. And that is also important for removing inflammation and so many other different things in the body. It actually also moves fat-soluble vitamins from the liver. It actually moves those into the body to be used, which is super cool. So A, D, E, and K, they go through the lymphatic system. Also, when someone is burning fat, so if someone is doing exercise, they are in that lipolysis, they're burning that fat, it has to travel through the lymphatic system. So it's kind of like if you can make sure that is flowing well, your body can take out take out the trash, so to speak. And you want to keep it flushing because it's kind of like if you have a house and you don't flush the toilets, <laughs> you want things to be flushing and going through the body. And the reason why it's different when it comes to the lymphatic system is that um, you have, of course, lymph nodes all over your body. You have them at your armpit, you have them at your groin, you have them at your neck. You actually have 70% of your lymph nodes are above your collarbone. So there's a whole lot in the body. And some of those you can trigger with like, you know, with a massage, your face, like gua sha is wonderful. Skin brushing is fantastic. But there's sometimes there are lymph nodes that are along the spine and in the groin that are hard to get at. You can't get in there in your spine in between where they where those ducts sit and flush that out. So she designed certain twists, certain activation techniques so that you can actually trigger those to release. So you use breath work intermixed with the muscle activation because when you activate muscles alongside a lymph node, so for example, one in the mid back, there's a really big one in the mid back, like back at the below the um, scapula, uh, you can trigger it to release. So it kind of keeps that moving and flowing. But that's the that's kind of the lymphatic system part that kind of sets it apart. Um, but there's also components of muscle activation. You're working five to seven different muscles at a time. You're using isometric muscle activation. So instead of loading, you know, loading weights on your arm with a, as, you know, like with a dumbbell, you are creating muscle activation yourself. You're creating your own resistance. And you do that by that isometric muscle contraction. So you're holding these positions you're doing the twisting, you're doing the breathing, and it's all circulating lymph, but also it's systemically activating the muscles. So it's kind of, it ticks all these boxes. It's whenever I talk about it, I'm like, there's so many things that, um, boxes that it ticks, so to speak, which is why I love it so much because it just has so many, so many benefits. So, yeah, so many. I have so many questions too. Yes. <laughs> if, if someone's just starting off because it does activate the, the lymphatic system, is there a sort of like detox reaction that maybe could take place? 100%. Yes. And I see this a lot. If someone has for a very long time, they've had a sluggish lymphatic system. Um, when you're first incorporating that, it's kind of like you got to, <laughs> the gunk's been sitting in there a long time and you have to kind of flush it out. So typically I will actually, that one of the first things that people notice when they're implementing it is they start going to the bathroom more. They either start peeing more or they start pooping more because there is a lot of lymph in there in your intestines. So I'll have people like, is it normal for me to start pooping more regularly or peeing a lot? Because again, you're circulating more fluid um, and that can be normal in that context. Another cool thing that can happen is, and I think it's cool, people think it's annoying when they feel nauseous when they're doing a workout, but when you're tr triggering some of those lymph nodes along the spine, 
uh, people will sometimes get a little nauseous. They will feel like a sudden, like, ooh, I might, I feel a little sick right now. And then it usually passes, but it's usually on those deep twisting moves when you're really working that spine that doesn't have that mobility normally. You know, you're twisting really far while keeping the hips isolated. It kind of, you know, up the spine, it's almost like uh, bubble wrap. You're going pop, 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 pop up the spine, but you're also triggering those lymph nodes. So people will get nauseous too. I've had people who will be in a class, they will be nauseous, or some people will actually have emotional releases too. That's a whole nother story. But I have had people in classes before who they're really getting in detoxing, they're really detoxing stuff, and they just burst in. They're, we're doing a twist. It's always the twisting moves. We'll be doing a twisting moves. And they just tears streaming down their face like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm crying. I'm like, it's your, it's your releasing something that was in there for a long time. Because, of course, we know, like we'll talk about the fascia holds that emotional um, imprint from trauma that's happened. So you kind of get into that as well. So there definitely can be a period of time where you notice some changes from that detoxification that you're pushing with the lymphatic system. Wow, that's so fascinating. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. So... How long does a, I mean, do, do you call it a workout? Mm-hmm. Like what yes. do you call it? Okay. So how long is a typical workout? So a typical workout is anywhere from 10, 10 minutes to half an hour. I have seen workouts done. There's a 15 minute one. That's like the basic workout that she developed. Um, and that one is more of like, it's a total body workout, but it's maybe good for beginners because it's not too long. She always said that 15 minutes is worth the muscle activation of 30 minutes. And for people who've started out on it, I think they would agree because you're like, whoa, I'm activating all these little tiny, teeny tiny muscles that are postural muscles that are along your spine um, that you don't normally hit in some of the bigger, more you know, um, compound movements that people will do. You don't hit those little tiny muscles in there. So yeah, so it's, it's very flexible. And also I will say this too, Um, I work with a lot of people who have uh, adrenal, HPA axis dysfunction, adrenals, their adrenals are tanked, their thyroid is tanked. And these ladies can, I mean, TTAP is still powerful, so they have to not do too much, but they can tolerate this, whereas they do not tolerate uh, running, high intensity interval training. It's something that I'm finding that women who normally have exercise intolerance, they can do it they can do it and they can build up their strength and their stamina with it. Is it just body weight the entire time or is there any sort of like equipment? No. Yeah. Okay. It's total body weight. Yep. And that's, just it's just you, as Teresa would say, it's your, your body is like a machine and how the muscles work and you need to learn how to, you, your body's the machine. You, you can move it and see changes without having to add anything to it. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's all body weight and there's standing, there's floor stuff as well, kind of intermixed in there, depending on what people need. Cause, uh, for people with adrenal issues, sometimes the floor is super awesome for them because you're not holding yourself up against gravity as much. The floor is your support. So they oftentimes find that they can tolerate that better than doing something that's a standing workout. Oh my God. This is so exciting. Like I really want to do a workout. <laughs> and I'm it sure looks that's... weird. It looks weird. That's something people are like, this is so strange. But I mean, I've worked with people who are one of the places that I first taught at was a CrossFit gym. Imagine that. Um, so I had, I had this guy who he was the owner of the gym and wanted to try it before he let me teach in his gym. So I came in there and had him do a few moves. I mean, first of all, he had a lot of imbalances going on because 
in certain movements, it's easy to be dominant without knowing that you're dominant. So he had some very dominant issues going on with different sides of his body. Um, but also, I mean, he was struggling. Like he was like, this is really hard. I did not know that those muscles were even there when I was, you know, just, it looks like you're just moving your arms up and down, but there's like 10 different things going on while you're doing that. So it really kind of, it, it, I feel this way too. It calls you out of your muscles that are not working or are being lazy. So, you know, even just things that you do with your hands, your body positioning, um, it really is about balancing imbalances. That's what she always said was you're, you're helping your body get into a better alignment. Uh, for even if you don't do just T-tap, if someone adds it in and maybe they have another sport that they're in or something else that they do, adding it in before or after the sport will help align them and get out the inflammation that maybe they created in their workout. That was going to be my next question. Like, can someone incorporate this on top of like the strength training or mm-hmm. maybe if they're in a place to do CrossFit, they, they can do both. Yes. It's, and in fact, a lot of the people that I will work with, they will do a combo. So they'll do T-tap on their off days and then they're, you know, at the, at the gym or they have a two day on one day off schedule. So it's very flexible. Um, but I find that people, even if they are lifting. So for example, my brother loves T-tap. He lifts at the gym. He's, how old is he? He's like 22, I think. (laughs) I'm like thinking of my age because I have many siblings. Um, But anyway, he like, he actually did an experiment once where he worked out at the gym and he, you know, saw what his PRs were. And then he took a couple weeks off and just did T-tap. He came back in the gym, did the exact same numbers because he was maintaining the muscle that he had created with T-tap. So it's almost like you can create that muscle density, but also it can help you maintain it. It's a really great tool to help you maintain the muscle mass that you have. And improve in performance. Exactly. I'm to yeah. yeah. And include mobility, you know, yeah. all that stuff because of all the twisting that you're yeah. doing in activated form. So that's amazing. So other than, I mean, I'm assuming this is just for anyone. Is there anyone in particular that you would recommend it for? Mm-hmm. Yes. So especially women who are moving out of, they're realizing maybe the exercise they're doing is really tanking them physically uh, so that they, they may be doing, they may be doing weightlifting and they don't feel like it's, it's, you know, serving them right now. Um, that can be a great thing for them to move into because it activates those muscles, but it's not as hard on your body. So especially if someone with thyroid adrenal issues, it can really be a great thing to move into. Another thing is women who are postpartum, it's extremely supportive for women who are in that phase of life, because again, you're not lifting anything heavy. So you're not going to put undue pressure downwards on the pelvic floor and pregnancy as well. I did it through both of my pregnancies. I never had any back pain. I never had any um, swelling in my fingers from, you know, issues with the fluids. Um, it's just very supportive for, a, you know, and men can do it too. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many men are in your audience, but they, they definitely can. I have husband, wife teams who will do it. I have one that I train on actually, she was doing, you know, doing, um, virtual training with me and the husband had been watching her, you know, in the living room doing it for about four months. And he said, why have I not joined in before now? This feels so good. I was like, that just makes me happy. 
Oh, that's so cute. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I think I kind of glazed over this part, but what does TTAP stand for? So it's actually the name of the creator and it's actually hard to, yes. So Teresa Tapp, her last name is spelled T-A-P-P. So it's her name, her the initial of her first name with the initial of her last name. And she passed away. She was the creator. She passed away in 2018. So um, everything, honestly, with her estate has kind of been crazy since then. There, there was issues with the will. So if someone Googles TTAP, like there, that's the, that's part of the thing that's frustrating about this is that I'm so passionate about it. I became certified in 2016. I've been certified in all the workouts. And then when she passed away, things happened with legal. So if people type that into the internet, they're going to be like, well, where's the main website for this? And how do you get DVDs? And the answer is there is no main website right now because everything's kind of in limbo. So I'm kind of an outlier on it because it's not, it's sad for me because it's not able to be brought forward and there's no more TV segments with people teaching it because of that, you know, going into limbo. So if, if people Google it, it's they're like, wait, wait, but her book is available on Amazon. So that is a spot, like that's what I started with, was reading how she created it and why she okay. created it. So, and what's the name of the book again? It's, it's, it's a cute title. Uh, it's very clickbaity, but it's Fit and Fabulous in 15 Minutes is the name of her book. Isn't that cute? That is so she's, She cute. would say that she's like, they, you know, when the, when the publishing house, you know, it comes to you with a title, they kind of try to make it as, as, you know, click on this or read this article and, you know, as flashy as possible. <laughs> so That sounds like something my mom would have purchased years ago. Right. And that's my mom did. And that's, what's funny is it's that, you know, when I first saw the book and first saw my mom doing it, I was like, this is, this is silly. And then I started to realize how it works. So, and that's why, and I also, I have like my personal trainer certification, but I also got the TTAP certification in addition to that. And honestly, I wish that they would have changed the name to like lymph or size, like lymphatic exercise, like to get, because that's kind of the focus of it. Although it has so many other benefits, that's like the primary focus of it. So I kind of wish that they would have maybe made a tagline so that people aren't like, is this tap dancing? That's the other thing. People are like, wait, is this, like, how does this even work? And I'm like, I know the branding is, needs some work, but it's really valuable oh tool. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. Do, do people usually sweat during these types of workouts? Uh-huh. And that I'm actually glad you brought that up because I know people understand also about the like the drainage pathways and that sweat is one of our pathways, like peeing or pooping or anything else. It's one of those pathways that drains out toxins. And people will sometimes have issues sweating. I have worked with plenty of people who they didn't really sweat in exercise. They couldn't work out of sweat. Their first time sweating was when we started to do TTAP because you sweat in weird places. Like you yeah, you sweat in your back and you, you know, you, you sweat on your arms, but like behind the kneecaps. And on the tops of the hands, and then we have vessels in our hands. We got vessels behind the knee. So you sweat in weird places. And also you feel an internal heat. Um, and when lymph is being moved, you will typically feel, sometimes it feels like if women have had a hot flash before, it feels kind of like this wave of heat that comes over you. You can even have, uh, like, it feels like a cool, icy feeling coming through when the lymph is really being drained. So there's different sensations you can get when you're moving the lymph like that. 
Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I can't believe I'm just like learning about this. <laughs> I've followed you for some time. I just haven't had the time to sit down and ask you like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm so, so fascinated. I'm definitely going to try a workout and you have like IGTVs kind of mm -hmm. doing it, right? Or like, what's your, like, how do you work with clients? Yes. So I have a lot, I have a YouTube channel that I have tons of tutorials on. So I have like one to one, you know, videos of me teaching you different tutorials on different moves because they are a little challenging in the beginning when you're, you're kind of, you're basically putting your body in a position that it is, it's not its path of least resistance. So our path of least resistance is to slouch and to put our knees together and duck our feet out, like, like walking like a duck with the toes splayed out. Um, you're putting yourself the reverse of everything. So it can be challenging. So I do have those videos. I also have recorded classes that like you can download and then play back. And then I do one-to-one because -one, sometimes people need that extra, um, you know, extra cueing or information specific to them on how to implement this. So I do Zoom calls for that too. So um, helping people get that, you know, one-on-one -on -one feedback because in the beginning, you know, I remember when I first started learning how to do it, I was like, I never did this before. I don't understand, you know, what does she mean when she says this on the video? Yeah. So yeah. That, that can definitely be helpful as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just like with anything, just having a guide for some extra support. Yes. I will be sure to link all of those in the description box. Um, kind of moving on to the fascia connection that TTAP has. Um, you had mentioned the emotional release that maybe some people receive when they're doing like spinal twists and such. I guess backing it up before we get into that reason. What is fascia? <laughs> yes. So I love, I'm a nerd on this. I just love it so much. So, and I will say as well, I've heard other people pronounce, some people pronounce it fascia and other people pronounce it fascia. And so the dude that I learned from pronounces it fascia. So that's just what I say. But I've learned that, but like I literally took a class with both of the people who were saying it differently. I was like, fascia, okay. Fascia. Uh, but so, <laughs> yeah. so, so, Fascia is essentially a interconnective web of connective tissue that is woven head to toe. There is no area of your body that there is not fascia. It is everywhere. It actually has neurologic properties, so it sends nerve signals. In fact, you have more uh, nerve endings in your fascia than you do in your muscles. And that usually is like, whoa, okay, we thought muscle, you know, activate muscles, tune into the, no, the each muscle fiber, so the little muscle bundles, if anybody remembers from anatomy and physiology, all those little bundles of muscle, they are encased in fascia and they are like throughout them is fascia, like it's everywhere and it's in everything. Um, so it also has lymphatic properties. So like what we were talking about earlier with the lymphatic system, um, the lymphatic system flows through the fascia. So it is the little liquid highway that brings that fresh fluid to those tissues. So it's important to kind of keep that fluid flow going. It also has proprioceptive abilities. So it, it, proprioception essentially means um, your body knowing where it is in space. So people who I used to be very clumsy. So I would, I would, you know, you'd be stepping up a step and whoops, I thought the step was there, but it was not there. Um, having healthy fascia tunes you into your environment. It is a sensory component of your nervous system. And I like to describe as far as how it looks, if you've ever sectioned an orange before and you have all of that 
uh, pith, that white part, and then you break those sections open. And each little, you know, section of the orange juice in there is encased in this thin layer of slippery looking tissue. And that is very analogous to what it's like in the body. So um, fascia is just very fascinating to me because oftentimes you can have, for example, you can have pain in one area and it may really not be coming from that area. It's from the nerve receptors that are connected to that chain of fascia because there are multiple chains of command when it comes to the whole fascia system. There's different lines of fascia and understanding how they interact can impact your sports performance, your recovery, um, your day-to-day life, and your movement. Um, and then also something worth noting about the fascia is, you know, how people say, oh, you're, you're made up of mostly water. Your body's a lot high percentage of water. Um, so a lot of that 60% of water that essentially that the body's made up with, a, a lot of that is in your fascia. So if you think about the water that is in a goldfish bowl, you need to change it. <laughs> You need to move it through and you need to move the junk out because your body's a li- living organism and you need to move that junk out and bring fresh, you know, fluid flow as well. And I know with you, your knowledge on minerals as well, cellular hydration is huge. If someone is cellularly dehydrated, it's going to affect the fascia. And the interesting thing with fascia too is that uh, it actually can be impacted, of course, in how you move. So let's say that you hurt your foot and now you're limping on that right leg. Well, when you limp on that right leg, it's going to cause your right hip to hike up and that's going to cause your left shoulder to tilt up and it's going to cause your head to tilt. So it, everything is going up that chain of command in the body. So your fascia will remember that pattern. It remembers, hey, we had a spot on our leg that's hurt. So we're still moving in essentially the same pattern. Your fascia can change in accordance to the physiological inputs that you bring into it. So your posture. So if you're always hunched over the computer, that's how your fascia is going going to stay in that place. It's almost like it poses itself according to how you move. So, um, but it's, it's, yeah, your fascia shapes your posture and it's just fascinating to me because it has so much implications. They used to think that it wasn't even worth looking at on the skeleton. They would throw it away. They, when they're doing dissections, they'd be like, oh, this is the packing material. It's like the packing peanuts. It doesn't really do much. And they could literally toss it to the ground and be like, no, that doesn't matter. The cool stuff is the muscles and the organs. Like those are the cool stuff. But in reality those are all made up of fascia as well. You just only see that kind of fuzzy white stuff on the outside, but it is everywhere and it's so important. Oh my God. Like as you're saying everything, my brain is kind of like that meme (laughs) with like all the math calculations, like just going on around me. (laughs) I'm like, but wait, in college, I um, not once, but twice broke two toes on, um, gosh, was it my left or my right? I don't remember, but it happened twice. And I was limping for good, like two weeks at least each time. And I think that was like the the only injury that I've ever had luckily, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I'm just so, I'm so fascinated, fascinated. (laughs) I'm so so fascinated by fascia. Um, I've been, I'd love to hear like your input on what else like someone should be doing, but I, I foam roll and I have like one of those Theracanes 
Um, and I have a lacrosse ball and one thing I have been doing ever since I saw your reel on it is putting the foam roller right here Mm -hmm. and laying on my side with like a pillow in between my legs. I don't have a ball, Yes, but oh my gosh, it feels amazing. It feels so good. And at the same time, it kind of hurts too, but it's Mm -hmm. like a, it's like a, this feels good. It kind of hurt. Yes. Um, but I have no idea, like, how does one assess, like, if their hips are out of alignment, like, if, if especially after limping for an extended period of time? Mm-hmm. Yes. So usually if someone has had, like, an injury or some kind of an impairment, like, um, when, I got, when I got knocked out when I was a kid and it hit, like, above my left forehead, you know, that impacted the trap. It impacted all the way down into my shoulder. Um, you can develop adhesion. So usually what will happen is it's almost like if you think about a piece of tape and if we all know how annoying it is to get the tape off of the dispenser when you're trying to pull the tape off the dispenser and not fold it on itself. So that folding on itself and adhering to itself is what can happen in areas where the fascia has you know, either been immobilized by an injury um, or there's been a compensation there. So usually the three ways that we will see compensations is from an immobility. So again, you break your arm and all of a sudden you can't move it very much. Um, inflammation. So if there's systemic inflammation going on, it affects the fascia too. And then physical trauma, like you get, you know, you, you actually, someone hits you in the arm or hits you in the chest and it causes that reaction to the body. Um, so a way to have that assessed, there are lots of these across the United States too and worldwide, but myofascial release practitioners will be able to oftentimes give an assessment for you to kind of be able to like, okay, so you're looking at your hips. Why is this hip higher? What's going on at the shoulder? What's going on at the neck? They can kind of give you that, you know, systemic way to look at it. Another way to do this is even just tuning into your own body and doing a body scan to notice how you're feeling. And, you know, I will do this sometimes. I'll lay flat on the floor. They actually teach this in the melt method, which I'll talk about. That's another way to work on the fascia. Um, But you lay down on your back and you know, you do a body scan and you notice, okay, when I'm laying on my back, is my chin tucking way in or is it arching out? Is my shoulder one shoulder on the ground and one shoulder's off? How is my rib cage? Is my rib cage arching, flaring out of the ground, or is it kind of drooping inwards towards my tummy? You know, is my, does it feel like my hips are even laying down on the ground or does it feel like that you have one hip that feels like you, you know, got your wallet in your back pocket and it's kind of popping it up a little bit. So there's a lot that can be said for self-assessments. And like you said, foam rolling is fantastic self-releases with things like you said, the Theracane that you can get in and, you know, get to those areas that are hard to reach. Um, a lot of those things you can do at home and you can, you know, do on demand when you notice, like you said, with laying with the foam roller on your neck, you know, I will notice if it starts to get tight, I'm like, I better take care of this. So I just plop down on the floor and put it up there and it's very proactive and it's very empowering to know how to take care of yourself like that. Because, um, you know, there is something to be said for going to someone else that's a professional that can really get in there and release things, which I highly recommend. But there's also something to be said for being able to go, huh, you know what, my QL muscle in my back's hurting a little bit today, I'm going to do some releases on it, uh, because I know that's going to help me. So, you know, awareness um, is very powerful. 
Yeah. I was just going to say that simple body awareness. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because I think the last toe break took place in 2012, Mm -hmm. I believe. In 2016, I started noticing um, my left upper like scapula area Mm -hmm. was, um, it hurts. It hurts right now. Mm -hmm. Like it hurts right now. And then I can feel my left side of my face just kind of like drooping Mm -hmm. even though it doesn't look like it but I feel like it's like hanging low Uh and I feel like this hip sits lower like my left hip yes I I feel like it but um it doesn't look like it per se yes like standing in a mirror but it just the awareness I have I'm something's Mm -hmm. off something's different so while I'm doing those self-releases at home I am seeing a myofascial release um uh, therapist on in like two or three weeks or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really excited about that because yeah, I'm, I think this is really important for overall health in general, but could you kind of touch on if this like impacts how we give birth Mm -hmm. and stuff? Yes, absolutely. So uh, it impacts many different areas of your life, but especially with birth. So the pelvis has, there's like eight or nine different ligaments that attach to the pelvis that hold it in that nice open position. So you've got your side joints kind of at the back. If you feel down to, towards your low back, you feel those two little bumps down there. Those are your mm-hmm. side joints. And those okay. control the internal and external rotation of the pelvis. So if someone like I did, um, fell snowboarding when they were 16 and didn't know what they were doing and landed on that side of your back, that's going to protect that area. It's going to maybe bring that one hinge inward. So if you're thinking about that pelvis sitting there, if you're visualizing it, you're going to bring that right hip bone, that wing inwards a little bit. And then that shifts things up the body because whatever happens with that pelvic bowl uh, really translates to the rest of the body. So when it comes to pregnancy and birth, um, which is one of my other uh, nerd top pet topics <laughs> I like love to talk about. I have like a few that I'm like, I could give a TED talk on it with no notes and it would, you know, just because I'm so passionate about it. But this is an area that's so important because um, the position of that pelvis will oftentimes determine your baby's position in the womb. Now, largely um, it's impacted as well by the ligaments that are connected to the pelvis. But of course the pelvis changes position in accordance with the ligaments that attach to the pelvis. So if a woman has a really tight psoas on one side, that's gonna cause her pelvis to have an upslip on that side. And the baby, um, I've tried to think of a visual for this before, but it's almost like um, if the baby is like an apple floating in a bowl of water, right? So if you tip the, if you tip the bowl over, the apple's going to shift to one side. And if you tip the bowl over the other way, the apple's going to shift. It's going to kind of shift in accordance to what is around it. So and then the baby's floating there um, in that fluid, in the amniotic fluid, um, their position where they land in the pelvis is depending on how that is shifting and settling in there. So uh, making sure that it's in a good place, that things are open because of course the pelvis has to open. Uh, you know, those those uh, SI joints have to kind of hinge to let the baby get out. So um, especially with uh, the positioning of the baby in terms of the fascia, uh, the head, for example, you want to have the baby with their back to your belly. So if they, you know, if you're visualizing a pregnant belly on you, uh, you want to have them with their back to your belly. So the side that's on your belly button, you want their back to be facing that. So if you were to tap right there on the front of your belly, that would be their back. You want that so that they can have the best exit from your body. 
So it's essentially lining up the baby for the best exit. And it really does impact, it impacts everything in the pelvis, um, the position of the baby, and even the ease with which you're able to give birth. Because the better every, the better balance is in the pelvis, the better uh, dilation and the better the baby can actually get their way out because everyone's always like, I feel like when we talk about birth, it's, we talk about the, we talk about the mom a lot, but the baby's navigating that they're in there and they're like, how am I going to plan my escape out of here? So if I turn this way, if I turn that way, then I can get out and then I'll move my shoulder. Babies are very, very smart. I think people just think, oh, they just kind of drop out. No, they've got to navigate that pelvis. They've got to figure out how to get underneath that pubic bone to get out. So um, providing the balance for them from those ligaments from the pelvis can really impact the ease and uh, comfort in pregnancy as well. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. And, and recovery too, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because the more um, the more balanced you are in your fascia, especially in your abdomen, and the better core engagement you continue to keep in your pregnancy, the better your recovery will be postpartum. Your abs will not feel dead, <laughs> you know, where people are like, I have no tone in my abs. Yeah. Um, yeah. You will actually, because again, you have more nerve endings in your fascia than in your muscles. So if you're connected to that area of your body, when you recover from pregnancy and birth, you will have a better bounce back of those muscles. They'll be like, yep, we're here. We're ready to activate and engage and pull that core canister corset inwards again. So you can really impact that positively. And I've seen that with my two that I was paying attention to that um, during the birth and then after as well. So just to kind of sum that up, what are some hot tips that you would give to a woman who is in their like preconception phase of mm-hmm. life? Yes. So if they are in preconception, one of the best things you can do is just do that. Look at what, like in pregnancy, what are the things that you uh, want to decide for your birth? What are the things you want to do after that? Um, because it is a completely different ball game when you are pregnant and now you're thinking and your emotions are involved. I speaking from experience. I did all the research before. I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, and then you get pregnant. And you're like, ooh, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. So thinking about that ahead of time is fantastic. So one of the best things you can do is see um, either a myofascial release practitioner that specializes in pregnancy or a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Now that is fantastic because um, the better tone and the more balanced tone, because of course many people have hypertonic, too much tone in the pelvic floor. It's not always, in fact, I would argue, I see many people with too much tone rather than too little tone. It's usually a stress thing um, that causes that hypertonicity of the pelvic floor. Um, But that will, most of the people's things that they get nervous about is postpartum, prolapse, tearing, um, postpartum core management. A lot of those things are the biggest fears for people. So if you can get in with someone who's like, all right, here's what we're going to do to help you learn to manage your core pressure so that you're not having hernias or having issues with prolapse after you have your baby. So they can kind of empower you with the information that you need to prepare ahead of time. And also that removes a lot of the fear when you know, okay, this is what I'm doing to manage this. And this is what I'm doing to prepare for that. It can really make a difference in postpartum and any issues that you might have coming out of that. It just really pays to know that. And it's so powerful. I'm like, 
why, I mean, even with my first pregnancy, I've been through training since then in specifically in pregnancy and postpartum fitness and physiology. And some of that stuff I didn't know until, you know, I had, I had my son. I, you know, before I had him, I was learning it. And I was like, why doesn't everyone know? This would have been so much better for me to learn that I wouldn't have had those pelvic floor discomforts after I had my daughter, if I'd known how to manage my core pressure, meaning uh, how to breathe well and how to not create undue tension in the pelvic floor. And real quickly, um, I like to describe the core as a canister. So like a can of, um, think of like a, a soda can. So if someone is crinkling in that soda can at the center, so think about the people who are like, always suck your belly button in when you go outside you know, to look good. Um, if you just are doing that, the pressure is going to go up and it's going to go down. It's not going to be balanced in the canister. The canister is going to be, if it's crinkled in the middle, that pressure can go up to your ribs, which can flare your ribs out and then give you a hernia or it can go down primarily and it can give you issues with low ab inactivation and then prolapse. So it's almost like if you learn to manage that ahead of time, you can be so much further ahead um, than you would be if you had no awareness of it. It's it's basically the ultimate prehab. <laughs> you're prehabbing yourself um, for all of that that you're going <laughs> to deal with after pregnancy. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm finding the whole pelvic floor thing just so fascinating. I'm seeing mm -hmm. a pelvic floor um, a physical therapist right now too. And I'm just, I'm learning so much. And I, I spoke to one of my clients who saw, she didn't see a pelvic floor PT, but she saw a um, myofascial release therapist and she's having, she was told by the therapist that she doesn't know how to breathe. And I remember when I noticed like my breathing for the first time years ago, and I was like, am I even breathing right now? Like it doesn't even feel like it. Cause it's such that shallow breathing. And then, yeah, going back to what you said and like sucking in our bellies and, you know, I've been doing that since I was at least, at least 10 years old. Me too. Yeah. So yeah, it is definitely like a, a big learning curve and that awareness around it, because I, I will catch myself like kind of just in that pattern. And then, so it's like the conscious release. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with that overactive pelvis. Same. I've had like also and here. yeah, you see, <laughs> even after pregnancy. Oh yes. I, in fact, I think that, and this is my theory. So when you have a baby <laughs> coming out of there, your body's like, oh my gosh, we just did something huge. Let's close it all up. And like, let's neurologically close up and keep it real tight because, you know, we just had this big thing happen and it's almost like this neurological response to it. So I honestly see people that are more like the hypertonic, so too much tone than too little tone. Now, right after you have a baby, yeah, sure, everything's a little relaxed. <laughs> and that's why I tell people, please stay in bed and don't try to go to a rock concert two weeks after you had a baby because you need to let that relax and let everything kind of go back where it's supposed to go. Um, but yeah, that's my theory is that it is really impacted and by stress, like you said, because when we don't breathe deep enough, the breath helps relax that pelvic floor and also relax and expand the diaphragm at the top of that canister. So at the top of that, you know, can is the diaphragm and at the bottom is the pelvic floor. So if we're not breathing, we're not expanding that up and we're not relaxing that, then you end up with 
it's staying too tight. It's not actually fully releasing because again, we are all in that like tense, hold the muscles um, phase. Like I feel like a lot of us just tend towards that. Not everyone does. Um, but I definitely tend to hold tension there. And I didn't, but in a way it's a blessing because I had no, like before I had kids, I had no idea. In fact, I, with my crazy exercise I was doing, if your listeners are familiar with the term diastasis recti, where the, the muscles split, I had a, a mild split around my belly button from doing all the crazy stuff I was doing. Before I even had kids, I had no clue about managing core pressure whatsoever. And so in a way, me having that where I'm like, gosh, it feels tight and it's uncomfortable. um, That's a blessing because it's a little warning signal like, hey, Margaret, you need to calm down and not, you know, stop holding in that stress and letting that build up. Um, it's been a blessing because otherwise I wouldn't have, I would have no idea <laughs> and probably would have hurt myself even worse, you know, if I had not been paying attention to that. Oh yeah. One of my friends, when I was in, um, the NTA or like going to the workshops and stuff, I don't know if you guys went to in-person workshops. Yes, we did. Yes. Were, okay. At the time. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they're doing them anymore, but anyway, we, um, we're talking a lot. We had, um, a t- an instructor, or like a, a TA almost, I can't remember what they're called, but she was a part of birth fit classes and she was an instructor for birth fit. And so she was talking a lot about the pelvic floor and stuff. And my friend had particular issues with constipation and she was like, oh my gosh, you have diastasis recti and you could clearly see it. And she had a very long history with intense workouts and lifting and such, and just mm-hmm. not proper breathing and engaging. Um, so I just thought that was very interesting because that's what I dealt with myself, like lots of constipation issues, mm-hmm, um, yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, like just unwanted, painful, uh, annoying symptoms. And I recently have learned that UTIs could also be associated with it too. Mm-hmm. I believe So that. I was like, yeah, I was, I was so intrigued by that. I was like, oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Always learning. Oh, yes. Um, Okay, cool. Well, I know we were going to talk about tongue tie stuff, but I feel like that's a whole episode. That and may honestly be a whole episode. <laughs> that, that I feel like that could be a whole episode. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but I do want to quickly ask you for, um, I know we, we kind of caught on to where we could find you earlier and just like the services you offer, but mm-hmm. what's your Instagram handle for the listeners? And I'll link it below too. Yes, it's at and then underscore muscles and motherhood is my Instagram. Okay. Perfect. Any other resources that you would recommend besides the the fit and fabulous in 15 minutes? <laughs> yes. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So I have a couple for fascia, anything and everything fascia. So if people are listening and they're intrigued and they're like, how do I self-assess and what do I do? Um, Dr. Tom Myers runs a company called Anatomy Trains. And it is a resource for those who are in the massage myofascial release space or those who are just wanting to learn more about it. Um, he actually has a class that I'm doing right now alongside Jill Miller. So it's Dr. Toms Myers and Jill Miller of the role model method. So she uses a lot of, like you're saying with the lacrosse ball, she uses those tools to release fascia. So the two of them have a class that they do together and they also do things separately. So that's a fantastic resource um, for that. And also my very favorite um, foam rolling. So with foam rolling, it's fantastic. And my favorite method is by Sue Hitzman. It's called the melt method. And she uses foam rolling um, 
in ways to help you bring that fluid flow exchange back to the fascia. And in all honesty, that's been one of the most helpful self therapies that I've done for myself on fascia. So I have, re- I always recommend it to clients if anybody has any issues with their fascia that they want to work on themselves. That's like the best resource. Um, she has a lot of free videos on YouTube. So if you search that on YouTube, it will come up with a ton of, of her videos and demos. So it's a very helpful self-care technique as well. And the other thing is um, for, we're going to talk about the pelvis and babies and fascia. Um, Spinning babies is a fantastic resource, which most people may be familiar with that, but they have several ligament releases that I used when I was pregnant with my son to help give him more space in the pelvis because the more space you can give the baby, the happier they can position themselves and the better it is all around. So that's another good resource as well. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Margaret. Like that was so much knowledge in an hour. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and yeah, we'll see you guys next week or talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Functional Fertility Podcast. If you want to stay connected, be sure to join the bite-sized weekly email list where each Monday I expand on social media topics to give you the exclusive tidbits of information you need to hear as it pertains to reproductive and metabolic health, fertility, preconception, and more. And if you're ready to dive deeper, be sure to check out my website, kiaramiewellness.com to discover different ways to work with me, such as one-on-one work and my online course, Period Restoration, where I teach you the ins and outs of your cycle and how to transform your fertility, whether or not you're trying to have a baby soon. If you feel this podcast episode resonated with you, please feel free to give it a five-star review and rating as it helps my podcast so much and it allows us to continue having wonderful guests on the show. Thanks guys. I'll see you in the next episode.